Welcome to Get Offered, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for Exceptional 21st Century Living. Hey, all of you UFO fans, okay, all of you fans of the gods, you know, the gods up in heaven, not the G-O-D, but the other ones, guess what? We have with us today, and I'm so excited, Gregory L. Little with us, and he's going to talk about the book he co-wrote with Andrew Collins, Origins of the Gods, Kasem Cave, Skinwalkers, and Contact with Transdimensional Intelligence. I am so excited because I haven't had a show like this in a while. And uh, Dr. Little has been on the History Channel and just about every channel out there talking about this. So folks, he knows the stuff. This is the show for you. Go get your friends, listen together, and enjoy some very interesting information that uh, Dr. Little is going to share with us today. Now, the information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through the blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that's been holding you back. But you know, I always ask that question, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, Intuitive Since Birth. I'm a third-generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting-edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I'm the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and the services I offer, go to my website, and that's moniquechapman.com, and I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on LinkedIn. My guest today, Dr. Greg Little, has a master's degree in psychology and doctorate in counseling and educational psychology from Memphis State University. He is the author of over 30 books and some 40 treatment workbooks. He and his wife, Laura, have been featured in numerous documentaries on the History Channel and other networks. He is the co-author, along with Andrew Collins, of... Denisovian, I think, or, or Denisovian, he'll correct me on that, Origins, and the newly issued Orans of the Gods. Welcome, Dr. Little. Well, thank you, Monique. Just call me Greg, if you will, and thank you. Uh, I will call you Monique. Uh, <laughs> that works all, for me. <laughs> all this doctor stuff just uh, reminds me. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of a movie where everybody's a doctor and it gets kind of ridiculous. So, you know, I, I understand that and I agree completely. And I generally don't even use the doctor titles. And then I get blowback from, you know, the guest afterwards. Well, I'm a doctor. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, OK, so you're you were also a person before you yeah. were a doctor. You know? well, so, I, thank you. I really, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I just don't care anymore. But uh, thank you so much for the introduction. Uh, Denise of an origins. There's a little you mentioned that there's a little uh -huh. controversy and how to pronounce 
pronounce it. Nobody knows how they pronounce their own name. Who knows? But uh, the Denisovans were a, uh, a well, actually, it's it's a lost sort of branch of humanity that was around hundreds of thousands of years ago, interbred with, uh-huh. with Neanderthal. And all of us carry some of that DNA in us. Uh, and that actually, that book, which came out in, in 2019, actually was the first step for this book that Andrew Collins and I did together. And Andrew, of course, is on the show Ancient Aliens, and he's on the new William Shatner show called The Unexplained. And he's on a okay. lot of other shows, too. But uh, thank you so much for having me. And I am ready for whatever you throw at me. Okay. Whoa, I hear boom. There it goes. <laughs> um, well, let's start off with something really easy and basic. Um, what got you interested in the paranormal and what made you believe that there was something truly valid out there? That's a, a good question. It's, it's a very difficult to answer, but what I will say is this. Um, my real deep interest began in around 1971 or so. I'm actually pretty old there. Uh, but in 19, in 1972, I entered graduate school in psychology at what was then Memphis mm-hmm. State University. It's now the University of Memphis. My mm-hmm. uh, major professor was a specialist in the field of psychopharmacology, had his PhD from Vanderbilt. His wife was a psychiatrist, had her MD from Vanderbilt. And while I worked under him in the field of psychopharmacology, and we started publishing the research in 1971 in it, uh, he and his wife were absolutely fascinated with all the new age stuff going on in the 70s. Uh, uh-huh. I, don't, I don't know how old you are, but I remember spoon bending parties. Yes. Uh, yeah. There used I'm to be about three years behind you. Okay. Uh, there used to be people who claimed that uh, plants could feel and think. Uh, some people believed in, um, oh, it was all telepathy. I mean, you name it. Uh-huh. Uh, there were all these parties that people did. Trance channeling was a big deal. And uh-huh. so he and his wife started taking me every weekend, sometimes to two, three, four a weekend of these events, uh, in it, usually in people's houses, and we participated and studied it somewhat. I will say that the, uh, the spoon bending never worked for me. Uh, I was never impressed with any of the trance channeling at the time. Uh, I uh-huh. have since seen more impressive stuff. Uh, but we did do some experiments with like pyramid power. Uh, we were never impressed with that. Never worked uh-huh. for us. Uh, but the thing that did work is we hooked up plants to uh, really state of the art physiograph machines like a, an uh, EEG, electroencephalograph. And uh-huh. we pretty much proved to ourselves that plants indeed do feel and do have some sort of sentience, not necessarily intelligence, but definitely sentience. Uh, So that's really how I got started in it. Somewhere along the line, I got so fascinated in UFOs, I decided I would write my first book on it. And it was a follow up to Carl Jung in 1984. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what got me into all this. Uh, What convinced me that it's real is doing real research, uh, eliminating what wasn't real and looking at what was left. And I am convinced, as was or is Andrew Collins, that there is something very, very real to the paranormal. 
Mm-hmm. But you have to work your way through the fake stuff or the false stuff or the things that we just that are really explainable, but appear to be odd. But once you get rid of all the the, the stuff that's not real, there is a core of very strange events and very strange phenomena that is quite legitimate and valid. And that's what this book is about. Okay, so when you how do you get past the past? Like I noticed in the book, you had a chapter on um, the Mothman and that the Mothman was basically a trickster. So with or trickster element, I should say. So is that something that was real or fake or what? Oh, no, the trickster is very, very real. Uh, Carl Mm -hmm. Jung actually got me into the trickster. Carl Jung's uh, Carl Jung wrote a lot about the trickster. The trickster is an element. It's a personage and an element that is found in Native American lore, and there are aspects of it found in virtually every ancient culture around the world. Uh, And what the trickster does is it appears in various guises. It can be a person, it can be an animal, or it can be a phenomenon of some kind. And Jung actually wrote in his many, many books that shamanism, the mm-hmm. idea that the ancient people that were trying to make contact with what we, we might call the spiritual world or the other world, that mm-hmm. it was all about navigating the trickster. You had to get by the trickster. So a trickster is something in the paranormal that appears and it is never exactly what its essence is. That is, it never shows you what it truly is. And it is designed to mislead us. It's designed to let our own belief system interact with it. And of course, beliefs, I heard your introduction there. Beliefs Mm -hmm. can be a major, major problem. Beliefs that the preconceived beliefs people have restrict their Mm -hmm. ability to analyze what's really going on. So tricksters are very real. Native Americans said they were very real. And a trickster element's always there, no matter how smart you are. No matter how together you are, you can be tricked, and we're generally tricked through our own belief system. So that's kind of a little introduction to it. The trickster, like mm-hmm. I say, does physically appear to young and to Native Americans. It becomes physically real. That that point I have to make. It's something that can become physically real. Okay. Or at least in our eyes physically, and we feel that we can touch it. It vibrates at a lower density, I guess. Well, yeah, you know, the air around you is physically real. Uh, we'll discuss yeah, that true. when we talk about plasmas. It's just so it has not much density and the molecules are not dense in the air. So mm-hmm. we feel as if there's nothing there, but there is something there and it's physically real. Uh, at some point here, I know we'll talk about plasmas because Andrew yeah, and that's I. That's where I was going next. There right? you go. You talk about intelligent living plasmas. So that is correct. It. Okay. So here you go. The in the UFO field, let's talk about UFOs. That's where you started with this. Uh-huh. So everybody in the field knows that roughly 95% of all UFO reports are of uh, maybe unidentifiable aircraft, maybe experimental aircraft, maybe a plane that's turned a strange direction, or it's atmospheric phenomena, or it's some sort of balloon or something else. It's just, it's an Mm -hmm. atmospheric phenomena, but it's not some extraterrestrial craft. So Mm -hmm. what's interesting is the other 5%, when you bore into the other 5%, what you'll find is there are some hoaxes in there, 
We do know that many people have hoaxed both UFO reports and things like abductions. Uh I'm not saying they all are. I'm just saying some are. So Uh what what I have talked about with this is kind of like looking for a needle in a haystack of needles. The needles can look alike, but they're not. So the genuine UFO phenomenon where Andrew and I have settled, uh, I call it TIME, T-I-I-M-E. And TIME stands for Transient Intrusions of Intelligent Manifesting Energy. And the energy that is manifesting is forming itself into a plasma. Plasma is the fourth state of matter. We have solids, liquids, and gases, and the fourth state is plasma. Now, when I was in college back in the late 60s, (laughs) in the 70s, Mm -hmm. uh, plasma was almost, uh, well, it really, very little was known about it. Uh, It was known that it was a different state of matter, but they really didn't have the technology to investigate it very much. But what a plasma is, Uh, Maybe the best way to explain it is how some might form. So the Earth is a plasma generating machine, as is the sun. The entire universe is filled with plasma. It's believed that almost all the matter in the universe is actually plasma. Uh, Plasma is a type of superheated gas which has gotten so hot that it's become ionized, and it means that the molecules in this gas have torn apart the atoms and have released photons and released the electrons. And then the plasma forms an electromagnetic barrier around it. It starts drawing in whatever it can to draw into itself because it is magnetic. So dust moves into it. Cosmic dust can move into it and it begins to solidify, although it's not really solid the same way we think of something that's solid. Uh Uh, So going so that is a plasma. They form naturally. They have been created in laboratories. However, some of them that form naturally form in the same places over and over and over. And when people interact with them, very strange things happen. So that's where this time comes in, transient intrusions of intelligent manifesting energy. Uh There is some sort of an interaction sphere that occurs. It's electromagnetic in nature. And when we get in this this interaction sphere with a a manifesting plasma, we are really taken to a different realm. Andrew's part of the book, which is the second half of the book, talks about it being interdimensional that Mm -hmm. you're really taken into a place where time really has almost no meaning whatsoever. Uh, It is, again, electromagnetic in nature. Uh, Plasmas can be dangerous. They are exceedingly powerful. Uh, They are picked up on radar, which is one interesting thing. When Uh they form in the atmosphere, they can flatten out and take on what looks like a disc shape. They can be attracted to metal of different kinds. That's one explanation the government has used for what are known as the Foo Fighters, which were the Uh lights that were seen flying uh, toward the aircraft during World War II. Uh, So that's kind of an introduction to plasmas. But in in 2007, a group of six 
physicists published an article following up on other physicists' work, namely David Baum, some years ago, 50 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. And in this article, they said that plasmas appear to be alive. Now, we've been saying this for years. Andrew and I have said this for many years. And they appear to have some sort of intelligence. And they say that plasmas in the lab that they have created form and show all the they form what looks like DNA in their interior, mm-hmm. a double helix, which then splits apart just like human DNA does. And then RNA creates duplicates. So plasmas can replicate themselves. It also mm-hmm. shows evolution in that the plasmas that have the strongest internal structure live, or that is they last, and then they duplicate themselves, they replicate themselves just like cells do. And mm-hmm. the weaker ones die out, but they interact with us. And what they what the physicists say is if we simply give them enough energy for a long enough period, they would be alive just like we are alive. So keep in mind, they form an outer shell, which all the cells in our human body, all of our cells have an outer shell. Mm-hmm. And within that shell is contained DNA and, well, lots of other things that keep us alive and make us into what we are. But plasmas do the same thing. Now, it boils down to a question, is the plasma itself, is that the object that has the intelligence and that is what we are interacting with? And I gave lots of examples in the book of people interacting with these. Mm-hmm. Or are the plasmas simply a medium for some other intelligence to utilize? For example, with us, many religions and many people tell us that our body is simply the medium of something else. And there's something Uh else they might call our soul or our spiritual essence, whatever it is. And that our soul is the real intelligent part of our body. And we're simply using our body. So that's the question with the plasmas. Are they the actual intelligence or is there some other intelligence that utilizes the forming plasmas as a medium. And -hmm. I know this is going to sound weird to people, uh, but it's not that weird. There are so many examples of this occurring throughout history, even studied by scientists, all of whom came to the same conclusion that we did, that what is happening here is there are interactions with what they called intelligent plasmas. And even in 2006, the British Ministry of Defense issued through a Freedom of Information Act a report called the Condine Report. That's spelled C-O-N-D-I-G-N. For anybody that wants to look it up, you can get it online. It's massive. It's like 600 pages long and has Uh all these appendices with it. But if you read the Condine Report, it will tell you that they have thoroughly studied all of the military reports. Now, remember, this is 2006, and they came to the conclusion that there are real UFOs. And what they are, they are plasma formations that they were studying at the time and trying to research. And there was some sort of military application research going on that they didn't want to discuss in this report. Uh, But they said that they called them dusty plasmas and exotic plasmas. They are, it's an exotic energy, which means they don't understand exactly what's going on with it. Uh-huh. 
So a dusty plasma is precisely what I discussed before, and that is a plasma forms. And because of its electromagnetic affinity, it starts pulling in dust, all kinds of dust, whatever it can get in the atmosphere. And it can appear to be a solid object. It can take on different forms and different shapes. And mm -hmm. we can interact with this thing. It is a very powerful electromagnetic field. So that's kind of a summary. I've, I've really taken you right to the end of, the, of, of all this. I've gone to the very ending of it. But we go through all sorts of examples of this, everything from Joan of Arc, uh, Emanuel Swedenborg. There were apparitions in 1968 through, the set to, through 1970 at Zaytun in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, hundreds uh -huh. and well, actually, there's hundreds of photos online. And we put, I think, seven in the book of the apparitions of the Virgin Mary at Zaytun. And uh -huh. even scientists have said this is a plasma. But the scientists have never been able to explain, well, how come this plasma takes on the exact shape of the Virgin Mary holding a baby and walking around at the top? This, this church in Zaytun has these mm -hmm. domes at the top, and there was a woman, a plasma-based formation of a woman, glowing woman, walking around on the domes almost every night for 13 months, 13 months straight. Filmed, wow. photographed, the scientists that looked at it said, well, you know, yeah, we think it's plasmas forming, but they had no, they said, oh, people's imaginations did the rest, but that doesn't explain the photographs. Then there was a flap in the 60s in Missouri, studied by Southeastern Missouri State University. The chairman of the Department of Physics studied it. He concluded these are intelligent plasmas they are interacting with. There were hundreds and hundreds of reports in Missouri during this time. Even J. Allen Hynek came there and looked at it for one day and decided it. I think he decided mm -hmm. it's going to be too much work for him. Uh, <laughs> and he, he just, uh, seriously, because it was happening all over the place and virtually oh, no. every night. Uh -huh. uh, the, the Missouri flap is written up in a book called Project Identification. Uh, you can still buy the book, although I think it's real expensive now. It was published in 1981, again, by the chairman of the Department of Physics. Mm -hmm. Then there's the Yakima, Washington State, uh, the Yakima Tribal Reservation of reports that are still going on to this day. Scientists studied them there. When these balls of light came down this one mountain there called Toppenish Ridge, uh, which I've been, I spent nights there back in the 90s. Actually, uh -huh. with Washington state government officials, uh, but oh. these ball, balls of lights would come down the side of Toppenish Ridge, which has over 100 fault lines on it, earthquake fault lines. And anybody that got close to them had strange experiences, everything from seeing Bigfoot to seeing bizarre creatures that were very tall and other times very short to having electromagnetic problems with uh, all kinds of farm equipment, which is at the base of this long mountain ridge, uh, mm -hmm. lots of weird smells, everything. But these, this was seen by hundreds of people. The scientists that went there and set up recording equipment determined that these are plasmas that people are interacting with. So there's lots of examples of this in UFO lore. It's just they don't fit the extraterrestrial idea. Now, Andrew and I do believe that ETs have been here in the past. 
Carl Sagan, the greatest skeptic of all time, said the mm-hmm. same thing in an article that extraterrestrials certainly have visited Earth. In fact, in a 1963 article he published in a uh, journal, a peer-reviewed journal called Space and Science, he said they have been here probably 10,000 times over the past two million years. And mm-hmm. that's pretty astonishing. But if you if you if you take that number and you start doing a little division, you'll see that's like one visit every 200 years. So the bottom line is this. Very few people who have really studied this believe that every UFO report coming in is an extraterrestrial craft and that Mm -hmm. every abduction is actually being perpetrated by extraterrestrials that are coming down, you know, and taking people out of their bedrooms or woods or wherever they are. There's something else going on here. And that's what this book is about. Well, let me ask a question about the something else going on here. So for these people where it's not really a true abduction by your definition, are they just imagining it or no. could something else be coming in? And- it's, it's a plasma based phenomenon. Okay. It is an intrusion into our reality and the plasmas are forming. Again, it's the fourth state of matter straight out of physics very, very powerful. It's an electromagnetic phenomenon and it interacts with us. So there is something very, very real happening here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know, uh, you know, I'll take it back to where we started with tricksters. In Mm -hmm. the 1950s and 60s, there was a group of people called the contactees And they had very similar stories. Often they would be alone in some remote site. Sometimes it was a desert. Sometimes it was on a river. They were fishing. Sometimes they were uh, at home, but they lived out in the middle of nowhere or on a farm. And a flying saucer lands, out walks, maybe a tall Nordic looking woman, which means she has long blonde hair. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a robot. Maybe it's some other creature, but they walk out and of this saucer to the astonished witness and they interact with them. There's a case where one and Carl Jung mentioned this one where the creatures walked out and handed the guy, the farmer who saw them, gave him a pancake. They said Mm -hmm. this is an example of our food. But then they tell them, oh, we're from Saturn or we live on Jupiter or we're Mm -hmm. from Mars. We live on Venus or we live on the moon. And we know in every, but the earliest case of that, this is phenomenal. What's the earliest case of that? Actually, the earliest case we know of, of of a contactee is the year 1743. A man by the name of Emanuel Swedenborg, the most famous, the most famous scientist in the world at that time. And he Mm -hmm. interacted with these creatures for 28 years and wrote loads of books about them and said they were physically real creatures. Now, this man was a very important and impressive character, Emanuel Swedenborg, yet he was lied to because they told Mm -hmm. him that they lived on, well, Saturn was an example, but they they Mm -hmm. lived on all the planets and there were cities like Earth. They even took him for a ride there. They took him for a ride to Saturn where he saw Uh all the cities on the planet. But we know that's not true. And we know it's not true with the contactees. 
So the thing is, are all the contactees lying and making it up? No. If you actually read Swedenborg Mm -hmm. stuff, you'll know this man wasn't lying. He is telling exactly what he perceived and he's telling what they told him. But here's the bottom line. He never got by the trickster aspect. Mm. That's the whole thing. That is what shamanism is about. Shame. I mean, it sounds weird. Now I'm going to shamanism. Shaman, mm-hmm. Shamanism is about going into an alter state and interacting with something or drawing something out. And Native Americans, which half of my part of the book, half of what I wrote is about Native American beliefs about this. Mm-hmm. They interacted with the exact same thing. And they could make these forms, which I'm calling plasmas, they could make them manifest physically in sacred spaces and interact with them. But mm-hmm. they had to get by the trickster aspect. So that that's probably the most important thing in all of this. It's that trickster aspect. And my area, I'm talking about all this stuff about the plasmas and about the contactees and all that. But my real main area of focus and interest in this is what Native Americans said about all this, because they interacted with it all the time. And it was actually part of their culture. And they said, if you do this willingly and you see it as an obligation to interact with this, which they saw as a completely spiritual force. Uh It is spiritual in nature. And you interact with this thing to harmonize with it. And when you harmonize with it, your tribe, your life, your world, the part of your world will then be in harmony. And so they saw it as an obligation to interact with this. But, But it comes even if you don't see it as an obligation. And when it comes on its own, that is when it causes disharmony or chaos. That is, that's when it tells people, oh, we're from Saturn. And that's not true. We know they're mm-hmm. not from, we know they don't live on the surface of Saturn in cities just like we have here, which is the kind of thing virtually all the contactees were told. So that's kind of a summary of it. Uh, okay. Well, I want to ask, yeah. I, I want to ask you another question about the stars. Um, you know, in, have we all come from the stars? When I was a kid, nine years old, living out um, in the country, if you will, a lot of trees, a lot of nature and all of that. And I take a book to read, you know, nine, you get the weekly read or whatever, and you're reading and I'd look up at the sky and I got like this download of information that I came from a star. I was told what star it was and mm. that I had good work to do. Now I'm nine, so I'm not really understanding sure. this. Okay. So have all of us come from a star system? Well, there's, there's, there's more than two ways to look at this. Um, mm-hmm. and I, if you're asking me for an opinion, uh, Edgar Casey, right. of course, I'm, I'm definitely tied into the Edgar Casey organization. I think there's five pages devoted to Casey in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edgar Casey talked about our souls as come, he called them sojourns that our souls hop from star to star. And one of the key ones, the main one, when we came into this, uh, galaxy, Uh, the Milky Way galaxy, we came from the star Arcturus. That was our hopping point, which is kind of interesting. And Casey said that our souls actually hop from from, 
planetary system to planetary system. And he also said it's going on all over the universe. So it's a spiritual thing in that case. We have a physic, we have a soul, uh, and people would say it's spiritual. I would say that it's electromagnetic. Uh, but anyway, that's Casey. Native Americans said that everything is spiritual, everything, and that there was a Big Bang. They call it a singularity. Uh, mm -hmm. They talk about it thinking outward and that when that happened, everything in the universe was created. But on Earth, they said Native Americans said something very similar to what Casey did, and that is our bodies are the physical vessel. And the souls literally come from the stars here. We know the star, the star that our soul comes from, according to most Native American beliefs, the soul makes a trip. And the trip is it comes through a hole at the what we would call the North Pole Star. Uh -huh. And and then it gets on the Milky Way and moves south and it reaches Orion. Uh, particularly uh, Orion's Nebula, which is known as Messier 42. And depending on the time of day that you look at Orion, uh, Messier 42 may be above or below the three belt stars. It just depends if you see it on the east horizon or the western horizon when it's setting. So uh -huh. it's Orion's Nebula that hops to Earth. That is the belief system that Native Americans have. Uh, Casey, of course, said the same thing. If you listen to uh, Carl Sagan and what he said, we're all made of stars, that we are all stardust. Mm -hmm. uh, Native Americans did have a, or do have, it's not did, they do have quite a few uh, legends about creatures coming here from the stars, physical beings coming from mm -hmm. the stars. Uh, they mention many different star possibilities here, everything from the Pleiades to Orion to Cygnus, which mainly is the star Deneb, uh, which uh -huh. served as the North Pole star about 17,000 years ago. Uh, so they do mention a lot of stars, including some others. But you'll find the big problem with that is when that information was collected from them, they did not use the same terms for stars or constellations that the Europeans did that collected okay. that information. That was the big problem. They would go out and point at something, and then the European ethnographers would write down what they thought they meant. So that has always been an issue. So did we come from the stars? Uh, actually, scientifically, I think all physicists would say yes, uh, mm -hmm. but maybe not in the sense that we were physical when we came here. Right. Okay. We, we live there and somehow migrated. Well, here. you know, uh, we are, I, I do believe the Native American idea that we are spiritual beings and everything mm -hmm. is spiritual. And there is something massive being played out here. Okay. Very, something very important is being played out. And uh, this time that we're living in seems to be very key to what's being played out. I've noticed a lot of changes between COVID coming in, um, people discovering their sexualities, um, you know, just people, the polarized people, the people who don't want to be polarized. It's almost as if on some level, like our DNA is changing. Something, mm -hmm. yeah, something's happening here. I mean, and add to that that we're like possibly moments away from a nuclear war. I mean, it's insane. This, it's a, we are living in insanity. And so 
Uh, from the Native American perspective, the Hopi had a thing called Cor Anascotsi. And Cor Anascotsi is, is about a world out of balance. In the Native American philosophy, we humans are here to maintain harmony and balance between two massive opposing forces. Now they they appear to they are in opposition, but they actually are harmonizing. And these mm-hmm. two forces are creation and entropy. And that's what the earth is all about. There's a cycle going on all the time between constant creation, which never ends. No matter what's destroyed, something new mm-hmm. is created out of it. That's a law mm-hmm. in physics. And the moment something's created, it begins the process of entropy, which means it's degrading back to its most primordial form. Mm-hmm. We start degrading from the moment we are born. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. But we are supposed, according to the Native American philosophy, we are supposed to harmonize with this and it helps the universe somehow. That is our role here on the earth, according to that philosophy. And I, there's that's the part of the book that I most enjoy writing about what the Native Americans said about it. Uh, and how we reached this point, why the physical world was created in this belief system, uh, and why we were sent into it in this belief mm-hmm. system. And they've got the role of the animals. I mean, it's all explained, and it's very interesting in that it is close to some of the things that even what Carl Sagan talked about many, many years ago. So mm-hmm. uh, things are not, this this paranormal field is not woo-woo. There is and I watch people uh, on some of the ghost hunter shows, you know, and that's entertainment. That's what it is. Yes. It's just Thank entertainment. Uh, yes. And we can't take all that serious, but the truth is weird things do happen. Weird things happen regularly in the same places. Uh, sometimes they respond to us and interact with us. Uh, and that's what the scientists that have studied this have found. But you don't you can't read a lot of the scientific research uh, because they don't throw it out into the mainstream. Uh, a lot of people that are scientists that are into this stuff don't really want their names mentioned. It's kind of like the stuff on Atlantis. My wife and I uh-huh. spent years doing research in the Bahamas, following up Edgar Casey's readings. Uh, and we met and know and are friends with quite a few mainstream archaeologists who believe that Atlantis existed, but don't want anyone to know that because mm. they will be blacklisted. They'll not get promotions or grants and their career will be ruined. Over. I mean, mm. it's astonishing. Uh, so the same thing is true in this. So physicists are very slowly releasing information that these plasmas are real for decades. I have been talking about the military's research into plasmas, and now we know a lot of the things the military has developed out of plasma-based research, which I believe comes directly out of their research on UFOs. Mm -hmm. Starting in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the military has developed and tested out all sorts of devices based on electromagnetic plasmas. And some of, I mean, they're astonishing. 
Uh, you can actually look these up. You can look up military patents. The U.S. Navy has patented a lot of this. They have mm-hmm. a device that they can beam. Now, when I say beam, you can't see the beam, but they mm-hmm. can put words and sentences in your head from miles <laughs> away. You'll hear voices in your mm-hmm. head from miles in distance. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's amazing. They can they have in the laboratory. They can have people uh, faced with choices and they can force you to make certain choices by beaming certain electromagnetic frequencies toward you. And that Mm -hmm. will determine the choices you make. And that is the kind of stuff the military is working on. And it's I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying people just don't know about this. Yeah. I mean, it's its good in one sense and not so good in another. But um, for what we understand, you know, right now, but quite interesting, because if you talk to someone in the military, they're not going to readily admit that that is going on. It seems that's, that's true. Uh, yeah. I have some. Uh, um well, I'd, I'd rather not go there. I did. Okay. Know, I oh. did know an adjutant general of the National Guard who told me about all the black helicopters. This was some years ago okay. uh, in the farmers fields and all. Uh, I did also mention in the new book a couple things that he had told me uh, okay. about the Missouri UFO cases, because I, I checked in with uh, him when that was going on and in Missouri, when there were hundreds of scientists trying to figure out what was going on in Missouri in the 1970s with all these UFOs. Uh, mm-hmm. And like I said, the chairman of the, the Department of Physics at CMO, Southeastern Missouri State University, was the chief investigator who set this up. But he interacted with the military because they found often when they would see and and see these forms, some of which look just like flying saucers, some of these flying saucers had portholes in them and they mm-hmm. could actually see beings looking out these portholes. Wow. These are physicists doing this research, but they would then mm-hmm. see U.S. military helicopters or jets coming into the area. Mm-hmm. So what he would what this uh, guy's name was Harley Rutledge. Uh, the physicist, and he contacted the military and they admitted, yeah, we flew planes in there. We were picking things up on radar and trying to figure out what was there. So Hmm. they didn't know what it was and they were coming in to see what it was. And so I talked, like I said, I talked to the uh, adjutant general of Missouri National Guard, uh, who was very forthcoming with information to me. And he said, yeah, that's that was it. Uh, he also told me later about a lot of other things about farmers complaining about these black heli- black silent helicopters at night uh, and cattle mutilations, of course, uh, are mm-hmm. always the thing people think of. But he told me about them. And of course, my real field is criminal justice and criminal psychology. Mm-hmm. And so what I found out is that the black unmarked helicopters that are silent and out at night have uh, special infrared video systems on them, and they do two things. One is they would look through roofs of mainly barns and houses looking for two things. They were looking for meth labs, and they were looking for indoor marijuana growing operations. Huh. And then when they would fly up and down farmers' fields, they were looking for standing growths of marijuana. 
And mm-hmm. I keep in mind, this was all in the 60s and 70s and 80s uh, when marijuana was legal, I- illegal everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so the DEA was using these helicopters uh, at night. And that's not known by very many people, although I've put that in several books and in articles. And it's well known among the, the military and, and law enforcement that that's what most of it was. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know how I got off on that. Uh, so <laughs> but thank you for caring. I, here. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, I want to ask one last question. Why was Earth implanted with humans? Why did yeah. whomever, oh. whatever, bring humans to this planet? Okay, so that is, I, I will answer it with the only answer that I know of that anybody's given. Uh, I don't think the Bible does the uh, does the Bible even say why we're here. It's like I don't know. I'm not Bible based, so I well, don't know. <laughs> I know. But I mean, I, that's a, a lot of people would say. Oh, the Bible says, but uh, you know, God created man and woman is what it says. It doesn't say why. I guess for companionship. Mm-hmm. But anyway, okay. So Native Americans said that in the beginning there was a singularity. That's the actual term that the ethnographers used. Now this is very old stuff. So they mm-hmm. said there was a singularity. And for whatever reason, it's un- I mean, the, the singularity is sentient. It has some form of intelligence. We can't possibly understand it. But think of it as a circle, a small point in space. And for some reason, it developed two forces within it. And those two forces would look like the circular yin yang symbol. And of course, mm-hmm. a singularity can't have two parts. So the moment it developed the two parts, it thought outward. That is what the, mm-hmm. how the Zuni tribe describes it. It thought outward. That is, it exploded. There was a big bang and it created a three-part universe. It's all spiritual. The singularity was pure spiritual energy. And, mm-hmm. it, and it was done to allow these two forces that, that were created in the singularity to exist One of the forces is creation or order, order, an orderly universe that allows constant creation. And the other force was the spirit of disorder or entropy. So those two are in a constant interplay. So they say the physical, the physical world and the physical universe was created, get this, as a three-dimensional two-sided mirror. A three-dimensional, two-sided or double-sided mirror. Humans were placed upon this physical world. Now, why is it a double-sided mirror? It's allowing these other two, the two big spiritual forces, creation and Uh entropy, to reflect their power in the physical world. All right? So those two forces are reflecting their power on the physical world. And as we walk around here on Earth, we are constantly seeing this interplay between order and disorder, between creation and entropy. And we Mm -hmm. were here, we were put here for two reasons. One is because we are the only creatures who can understand that this is what's going on. And secondly, so we can help maintain harmony. That's it. Mm. We are supposed to maintain harmony. And that is why Native Americans had all of these rituals uh, 
that celebrated the spiritual world, interacted with the spiritual world, and it was all about maintaining harmony with the spiritual world. And of course, today, people get as far away from that as they can. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we screwed that up. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the Jeez. difference. That's why we can never truly understand that culture. They mm-hmm. lived in a totally different world deliberately. I was, I've been asked many times, times. Well, if the Native Americans were so smart and so on, why didn't they invent the wheel? And my answer is they didn't need the wheel and they didn't want the wheel. They didn't own land. See, this is a big difference. They didn't believe you can own land. You can occupy mm-hmm. land and you can harmonize with the land. And then you, if you need to move on because yeah. the resources need to be rebuilt, you put everything uh, that you have on your back and you walk away and you go somewhere else. And that was living mm-hmm. with spiritual energy and nature. They harmonized with it. Now, that's uniquely Native American. You go to South America, totally different kind of culture. Absolutely. So Mm -hmm. they harmonized with the same thing the shaman did in Siberia, which is where we believe a lot of these beliefs came from. Mm -hmm. Wow. You have given us a a huge amount of information that um, is easily understandable. And folks, I want to let you know that the book Origins of the Gods, it's an easy read. The chapters are small. Um, It's written basically in layperson's terms. There's a beautiful color um, insert in the middle. And then there's pictures throughout also to help you understand what is truly going on. You know, this is you know, summertime. So it would be great summer reading to pick up this book and just, you know, sit down, relax and enjoy. Give yourself some knowledge. You don't have to read it front to back. You can read it and digest the information and then, you know, read some more. But this is a great book if this uh, subject matter is of interest to you. Greg, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you. It's it's a pleasure. Uh, if people want to find me, just Google my name, Gregory L. Little. Put that middle initial in. If you don't, you'll find football players right away. <laughs> but, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. That you know, football players are more important than anyone else, even if they're college hey. players and just played a year. But uh, Gregory yeah. L. Little, you'll find me. You can find everything, and, and it's I'll a pleasure. All, yeah, yeah. Thank you, and folks, I'll put all of the. Um, ways that you can uh, contact them, websites and whatever in the show notes. So, you know, do look for that. Okay. So um, Greg, thanks so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Good luck to you. And I appreciate it very much. Thank you. And to the audience, I appreciate your time and attention as always. And if you like the podcast, you know, give us some, you know, stars, give us a rating. We would love to, um, you know, have those. And if there's something that bothers you, give me a call and we can greatly talk about it and see what's what. So um, I want everyone to remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of discovering the origins of the gods. About the blessings, light, and love to all. Agape.